Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Know Thyself, The Seven Dimensions of Wellness. It's the new book. It just hits stores. It's written by Joshua K. Darnall. And Joshua's right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we're going to talk all about it. Joshua, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Can you tell me all about Know Thyself, The Seven Dimensions of Wellness? Sure, yeah. It all started with me growing up without a father and really kind of seeking to understand, you know, what being a man is about. And in high school, I actually started this concept where I was focused on my spiritual, my mental, my emotional, and my physical aspects of myself. And then it grew into the seven dimensions, you know, adding professional and relational and professional and all these other aspects. And really in the course of counseling clients for now 12 years and my master's degree in psychology with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy and really working with people from all walks of life. I did two years of mental health counseling on Skid Row. I work with clients in Malibu that have, you know, seven figure incomes. And really seeing how when we're not balanced between our spiritual, our mental, our emotional, our physical, our professional, our financial, and our relational, that it really creates a discord. No matter how much money someone is making, no matter you know how good maybe their family life is, no matter how good their job is, if there's not balance in these other aspects of someone else's complete wellness, then that creates discord. For example... You know, I work with clients, you know, that make a lot of money, they're on TV, you know, mm. everyone, you know, wants to be them type of thing. But yet, you know, their kids, you know, have issues or they're on their third marriage. And so it's not about, you know, how much money I can make or, you know, this or that. It's about, you know, really having balance. And that really what creates true self-actualization, which is obviously a Maslow's term, which is really about feeling wealthy in your life. And obviously, wealthy is not just about being rich. Wealthy is having the complete aspect of everything working well in your life. Hmm. Joshua, once you decided to write this book, was it a process that took you a long time to complete? It did. (laughs) Yeah, it took 12 years, actually. You know, I was a self-made multimillionaire. I was creating... I'm an entrepreneur. I was creating three businesses. I actually used to be a a college football coach for 14 years. And I left my full-time offensive coordinator position. And I was also teaching college English at Azusa Pacific University in uh, in 2009. And Spirit told me to leave. And I resigned and uh, moved to Santa Monica. And and I was able, you know, just to, you know, live off the stock market. The stock market's been a passion of mine since I was 18. So I really had a lot of freedom because I didn't really need any money. And I asked Spirit, I said, okay, what do we do now? I took all of 2010 completely off, but then 2011, I I was ready to be of service, you know, to humanity. And Spirit then told me, okay, start helping people. And so the intention for this book started way back then. But again, I was getting my master's degree in psychology. I was getting my spiritual counseling license. I was creating three uh, businesses from the ground up. 
So finally, you know, during COVID, I was able to finish the book. So can we expect more books from you in the future, do you think? Definitely. Um, I'm actually working on my second book. It's called The Magical Formula, and it's based off of the original symbol of God, which is IHVH. The names Jehovah and Yahweh came from the symbol IHVH. God was actually never supposed to have a name because how can the Alpha and the Omega have a name? You know, once you name something, it is defined and, and God is, it cannot be defined. And really what IHVH teaches us is actually how to truly manifest. And it is a formula. And as you dive into what each letter represents, then you understand a 100% formula that will always get you whatever you desire. The current teachings of manifestation are needed because they're, you know, kind of more of an introductory level, but it's not 100%. You know, I've been doing spiritual counseling for 12 years and so many people come to me with mixed results, you know, about the current teachings of manifestation. The IHVH symbol completely gives you everything you need for when you follow the formula correctly. It happens 100% and I'm a living testimony of that. I think a lot of people are going to be helped out by this book. The title is Know Thyself, The Seven Dimensions of Wellness. This is written by Joshua K. Darnall, and it's published by Fulton Books. Of course, you can grab this one up everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Joshua, thanks again for coming on the show and telling me all about Know Thyself and everything that you've got going on. I had a really nice time talking with you. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Joining me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Miranda Williams. Miranda, thank you for being here with me tonight. Not a problem. It's exciting. You have a new book out in stores, Miranda's Poems. Can you tell me about what readers can expect in this? There's a variety of different poems that I've written over the years. What inspired you to collect your poems and publish them? I've been writing for years, since I was like 12, 13. And when I had the miscarriage back in 2018 was when I first decided that I wanted to publish a book. That way people that are in a bad place could read it and find the light the way I did the books I read. Mm. Miranda, what kinds of readers do you think would be really into your poetry? It's kind of hard to say because I think depending on their outlook, it could be a variety of different people. It could be anywhere from teenagers to adults. It could be women, women that are moms, women that have had miscarriages before. And how long did this take you to put together and then prepare for publishing? Well, some of the poems I wrote back in like 2002, one was 2008, and it just kind of went from there a lot, all different years. Have you ever published a book before? No. Well, congratulations. What was that moment like for you when you got the first physical copy and you got to hold it and look at it for the first time? I was so excited. Mm. Can we expect maybe more writing and publishing from you in the future? Possibly. I've got two I'm working on right now. One's a novel and one's a collection of short, scary stories. Mm. And what advice would you have now for authors who are just about to embark on that same journey, get their first work out there? Don't give up and don't let anybody tell you that you can't do it or that your book and ideas are stupid. Mm. 
There's a lot of people that like to tear other people down because they don't believe you can commit to something. And no matter what happens, whether you're a famous author or it doesn't sell a single copy, you actually accomplished this. And it should be something that you're very proud of. Mm. Miranda, who inspires you when you're writing your poetry? It started with my grandmother's death back in 2001. And then... Pretty much my miscarriage, my mom, and my son now, who's almost two and a half. What do you do when you get writer's block, Miranda, when the words just aren't coming, but you know you want to write? Usually I get mad. I throw my pen. My mom tells me to go take a walk and play with baby outside for a while. And then I just come back to it. Sometimes it takes a couple days before I can get back to it. And looking over all that you've written and now that you've been published, what's the most rewarding aspect for you of knowing your work is now out there for the world? The fact that I can honestly look myself in the mirror and say, I accomplished something in my life, whether it sells absolutely no copies at all. Mm. And when it comes to the things that you read, Miranda, are you a reader mostly of poetry or do you explore a lot of things? Mostly I read romance novels. But now I'm getting more into, like, mysteries, like the Hardy Boy Mystery Collection. Mm. When you sit down to write your poetry, Miranda, how do you get started with things? Well, it actually started as songs I was writing over my life that turned into poems. So I decided to do them as poetry instead of the songs I wanted them at. Do you have a certain time and a place that you like to get your writing done? No, it's pretty much whenever the inspiration hits. I think this is a book that a lot of people are really going to be into. It's titled Miranda's Poems. It's written by Miranda Williams, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can get this one everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Miranda, thank you again for joining me here tonight and telling me about your poetry. I had a very nice time talking with you. You too. The author sitting here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable has seen so many miracles in his life that he's released a book about it. It's titled The Miracle of Me and My Life of Miracles. His name is Curtis W. McAllister, and I'm talking with him now. Curtis, thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Can you tell me what you've written about in The Miracle of Me and My Life of Miracles? Well, basically, it's an autobiography somewhat. My early childhood, it starts out, and a few minor miracles. Then we start getting into actual big miracles that have happened to me during my life. Hmm. Curtis, who are you writing this for? What sorts of readers do you think would be really interested in this? Well, I'm just hoping to get it out to uh, anyone and everyone that might be interested in it. I just want everyone, the whole world, to know that miracles actually happen. And they happen every day to ordinary people like you and me. Curtis, how did you get the idea? What persuaded you to write this book, to tell your story? Actually, a couple of ministers told me that I needed to uh, keep a journal of all the miracles that have happened during my life, and I, I did, and I thought, well, you know, I may have enough stuff here to write a book about, and by golly, I just started in, and it, it's taken me two and a half years to complete, but I finally did, 
I saw a phone number on television that said Christian Faith Publishing, and lucky for me, somebody actually answered the phone. <laughs> I was surprised because I had tried several other companies, and Christian Faith was the first one that answered the phone. But my problem is that, you know, I have no idea why Father God actually chose me, you know, for these miracles. I mean, I have no idea because I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect, you know, and it just shocks me that he has let me see these things, but he has. Is this the first time you've been published then, Curtis? Yes, it is. Well, congratulations. That's a huge deal. Do you have any words of wisdom that you could offer to people listening now who also are thinking of getting their first work out there? Well, if they have a story to tell, please tell it. You know, if things have happened to you or anything like that or happened to members of your family, keep a journal of them. You know, write down those things as they happen. And who knows, maybe uh, someday soon, you know, there'll be enough material that you could actually write a book about. Hmm. Curtis, what are the chances that we'll be seeing more published from you in the future? Well, I highly doubt it because really there hasn't been a whole lot since the last miracles, but I have had some visitations by deceased family members in my bedroom late at night. And let me tell you, that gets to be a little on the scary side sometimes. I don't think so. So I told them, I said, hey, you know, no more, no more nighttime. You know, don't do it at night. You know, it, it's, it's a little spooky and everything, you know, if you're not used to it. But I saw dark figures, you know, two different times. One was standing tall at the foot of my bed, and the other was kneeling down uh, inside my bathroom. And both of them were... Well, not at the same time, of course, but, but they were speaking to me. They were actually talking to me. Unfortunately, I couldn't hear what they were saying because I wear hearing aids. And it was just too soft, you know. I, I could not make out their words. The name of the book is The Miracle of Me and My Life of Miracles. It's written by Curtis W. McAllister, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this book everywhere, like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Curtis, thank you again for joining me tonight. I had a nice time talking with you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Believe me. <laughs> I Used to Be Nothing. That's a new book. It just hit store shelves. It's written by R.J. Greer, and the author, Rebecca, is right here with me now to talk all about it. Rebecca, thank you for joining me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Hi, yeah. Thanks for having me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to have you here. Rebecca, what can readers expect in I Used to Be Nothing? Well, it's a book about how science reveals and affirms God as our creator and the aspects of his character. What kinds of readers were you reaching out to with this? Well, I'm hoping my target audience were older children, teens, but I also hope that adults will find interest in this book, too, and not just people who go to church, were raised in the church, but even people who just don't really know what to think about the church or God, just kind of a broader audience, too, I guess, not just church folks or people who believe in God. Hmm. Rebecca, can you go back and think about what sparked you to write this? Where'd you get the idea to write the book and then publish it? Yeah. So I homeschooled our three boys when they were younger, and we went to the library often. And my middle son, Levi, loves animals. 
and he actually rented a book. It was huge, like eight and a half by 11, and every page was full color and all about animals. But it was all about animals from an evolutionary timeline perspective and thought. And I was just like, yeah, no, we're going to take this back. And and he's just like, why? But it's all about animals and I love it. And I'm like, well, we'll talk about it. You know, this is a theory of evolution and we don't believe that it happened this way. And I'd rather tell you guys about that before we read about it in a book. And I'm like, I could write a better book about how God created all the animals. And I just kind of was saying it off the cuff to my little children so that they would just be okay with taking this book back. And they're like, Mom, you should do it. It'd be awesome. Like, <laughs> you teach us science so well, and we love it. And then my youngest, Silas, was like, yeah, and you can call it I Used to Be Nothing, because the book that Levi picked was I Used to Be a Fish. Mm. That was the title. So that's where the origin came from. And you know, once you tell kids something like that, they won't forget it. They're going to hold you to it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and they have. <laughs> Is this the first time you've ever done anything like this when it comes to writing and publishing? Publishing, yes. I have a blog that I spent quite a bit of time writing different shorter pieces on, and they weren't meant for just kids. It was just kind of an older audience, um, teenage adult audience. I'm just talking about faith and what we believe and why we believe it and what it looks like to live that out Hmm. instead of just being a religious person. And then, okay, so this is the first time, yes, that I have actually sat down and wrote a longer piece and got it published. How long of a process was it for you? Did it take a long time to do? Well, it did. It was kind of an on and off project. Like I mentioned, my kids, we homeschooled them. So I really wrote the biggest part of it while we were homeschooling. So it took me four years on and off because there were just time periods where I couldn't really sit down and focus on it or research it the way that I wanted to because I needed to teach my kids. So yeah, it was kind of an on and off four-year process. Mm. And after that four years, Rebecca, tell me about that moment when you got the first hard copy and you got to look at it, hold it in your hands for the first time. Yeah, it was really surreal. It just was kind of like, I can't believe it's here and I have it. And it still is really surreal at this moment because, you know, not many people know about it. It's my first work. So I don't have like this reputation of an author, but it's really fun. I have some fans that have been praying for me through this and have encouraged and supported me through it. And so having them say, I want my first signed copy, I I want a book, you know, that's been fun. But it's still very surreal for me, even now. Like, even with you at this interview, it was very, like, surreal. (laughs) (laughs) I think this book will really help bring some clarity to the faith and science discussion. It's called I Used to Be Nothing. It's written by R.J. Greer, and it's published by Covenant Books. You can pick this one up everywhere, like Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Amazon, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Rebecca, it's been wonderful having you on the show here tonight. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Corey. It's been a pleasure. I'm really excited to see what God's going to do with this book. It's a fight for a man's life in the new book by Pastor Ernest Dale Miller. It's titled COVID-19 versus the Pastor. And I'm really happy that Pastor Miller is right here with me now to talk all about it. Pastor, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, sir. It's my pleasure. Can you tell me all about COVID-19 versus the pastor? What can readers expect? Well, I can tell you that the reason why I wanted to tell the story 
is so they could hear this from somebody that first knows how to pray, has been raised up praying about things, and that it is a real thing and it's something that we need to be aware of and prepare ourselves for. Hmm. And Pastor, can you tell us a little bit about the story that you're telling in the book? actually started with a Sunday morning message about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. And after I preached that message, I went home. I told my wife, I said, I said, man, I just don't feel good at all. Hmm. You know, we didn't know anything about COVID or anything. So I said, I'm going to go by and pick up my friend, and we're going to the hospital in Amarillo ER. I walk in and sit down in the ER in Amarillo. I had a 108-degree temperature. So I was a sick boy. Wow double pneumonia. My kidneys had failed. Everything that could happen to you was going on, and they put me on a bent. All kinds of machines, everything that they had, I came to about three weeks later. They had me in uh, a recovery hospital. The Vibra hospital that they took me to was adjacent to the Baptist St. Anthony's there in Amarillo. They took me down there, and my daughter was there checking me in. And this lady behind the desk was telling my daughter, I, I can't check him in unless he's conscious. Mm -hmm. She said, well, he's been out for three weeks. <laughs> she said, well, I can't check him in unless he's conscious. That morning, they had recorded my sermon on YouTube. So she took that sermon and put it up against the side of my head and began to play it. Now, you're unconscious. You don't know that you need to pray. You don't know what's going on. But I've been trained on how to pray because I've been trained as a minister and been a Christian for a long time. So if I'd have been conscious, could have took care of it. But here she is playing this up against the side of my head and this check-in nurse over there across the desk. And when we got to the part about when Nebuchadnezzar looked in the fiery furnace and he said, wait a minute, in Daniel's third chapter, he said, I thought we'd throw three Hebrew children in there all tied up. He said, I see four loose. And that fourth one looks like the son of God. My comments on that was that three Hebrew children went in, three came out, and Jesus is still in that fire, just in case I get in there. Just in case something puts us in that situation, he's there for you and me. Mm -hmm. Because he said he'd never leave you, and he'd never forsake you. And at that moment, my eyes opened. My daughter said, well, I guess we can go ahead and check him in now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that's the way this whole thing started. Pastor, who needs to hear your story? Who are you writing this book for? What sorts of readers? I'm talking about everyday Joe Plumbers, people that I'm afraid. Sometimes we get to thinking ourselves a little more highly than we should, mm. and we get to thinking that, well, nothing's going to happen to me. God loves me so much that he's got a picture of me on his desk, and nothing's going to happen to me. He carries my picture around his pocket. He does love us. He loves us enough that he gave us his son. But the people that I wrote this book for is for those folks that need him that don't really know it, mm. that don't realize that they might be walking outside of that circle just a little bit, that they need to come back to the center just a little more. You know, because sometimes we get a little bit too far right, too far left, but God keeps us connected in the middle. Mm. I think a lot of people are going to want to read this book. It's titled COVID-19 versus the Pastor. It's written by Pastor Ernest Dale Miller and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this book everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Pastor, thank you again for joining me here today and telling me about your work. I had a nice time chatting with you. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. 
Right now, here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm joined by author Natoya Perkins. Natoya, thank you for joining me tonight. You're welcome, Corey. My pleasure being here. It's my pleasure to have you here, Natoya. You have a new book out in stores called Nina and Anna, A Friend to Call My Own. Can you tell me what this is all about? Well, Nina and Anna is just a book about friendship and also a little life lesson for parents to encourage their child whenever they are going through some emotional trauma or whatever. It may seem simple, but it's basically this young lady or young girl, maybe around eight, nine year old, who has no friends. And her problem is that I need to have a friend. She's a sweet little rabbit who desire friendship. But at the same time, no matter what she has done, she goes out every day seeking a friend. But every day she will return home telling her mama what's going on. It's just as simple as that. And how the mom treats her and speaks to her and encourages her. That's how this book will help not just the child who is reading, but also the adults to show that, listen, you got to have that sincere empathy and understanding of what kids at this age would and should be going through. What a fantastic message this book has. Indeed, we all do deserve to have friends. Natoya, how did you get the idea for this? Well, the idea came, you know, I too. So this book is kind of mixed fiction and nonfiction. Mm. So it's part of my life story. And then I mix it again with a little fiction. But it's more so that, you know, I grew up, I'm a quiet young girl growing up in the inner city in Jamaica and no friends. And the only friend I had was my youngest sister. So we did everything together, you know, spend time together. But when you go to school, I, you know, I really don't have friends because I'm quiet. And as a Christian, you can't partake in certain activities. So, you know, along that line, friendship, you know, I've always wanted to have friends where I can just do things with, spend time with, you know, just go anywhere and just feel a part of a union. And I believe this book stemmed from that or throughout my life story or journey. Hmm. How long of a process was this for you once you sat down and began writing? You know, Corey, surprisingly, though, when I started writing, I was in Japan as a junior high school teacher. Hmm. And when I got home, we usually get home early. And I just sat there and I knew, you know, years I always wanted to write a book and have my life story, where I'm coming from and where I am now. I've always said, I need to write a book. I need to tell my story. And uh, I sat down one day after work. And I just wrote the book just like that in a couple hours or you would say minutes, just like that. It wasn't, you know, a long journey like, oh, I have writer's block. Mm. It just happened. And I just wrote the book and throughout the time or the week, I just edited the book and, you know, put in grammar and stuff. But it didn't took a very long time for this book to get done. So this is your first book that you've written and published. So what was the most challenging thing along the way for you? The most challenging, as I mentioned, the book, writing it wasn't challenging, but the challenging part was getting it published, like mm. not knowing where to go, what to do. You know, it's your first experience. Mm. And in my book, I dedicate also did a dedication to the person who kind of encouraged me to get it published. I've had this book written since 2018 or 19. 
and it just got published this year. That's because I was on Facebook and a Jamaican author saw me and, you know, saw me always talking and writing. And he said, have you written a book? <laughs> and I was like, how did you know that? And he was like, I just know, you know, about six cents. And he, I told him yes. And he said, girl, you need to get your book out there. That's how that book came about. But the hardest part is just the publishing because to find the right publisher, I mean, American now, I'm not sure who is who. You know, it took a while. But at the same time, after a year of searching, God brought Fulton books to me. I think this book has a fantastic message, and I think my listeners should check it out for sure. The name is Nina and Anna, A Friend to Call My Own. It's written by Natoya Perkins, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can pick this one up everywhere, of course, like at Amazon and at Barnes & Noble and iTunes and on Google Play. Natoya, thank you again for joining me here tonight and telling me all about your work. I can't wait for the next one to get out there, and I hope we get to talk again soon. No problem, Corey. It was a pleasure being here, and I'm thanking you and your followers for listening and taking the time out to have me here today. Thank you. I'm delighted right now we're speaking with author Gwendolyn S. Corbett here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Gwen, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hello, and thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm glad you could be here. It's really exciting. You have a new book out in stores right now. It's titled The Light at the End of the COVID-19 Tunnel, Poems to Heal the Heart and Soul, Poems Inspired and Written During the COVID-19 Pandemic, from March 20th, 2020 through May 8th, 2021. So. We have a lot of poems here, Gwen. Can you tell me about the book? Yes. During COVID-19, God told me to remain hopeful and positive. God used my body, a vessel to share healing writing. Poems poured through me when I walked out the back door onto my patio and was touched by the warm rays of the sun or the freshness of a spring breeze. Or when I saw a beautiful flower that was so full of hope and life when the COVID-19 world was lacking hope and fear death. This book is unique because beautiful graphic images accompany each writing. A resource section is in the back of the book with inspirations for the poems and graphic images. A lovely audible recording created by me pairs up with the book. Hmm. Finally, for all of my books, a certain percentage of proceeds will help disadvantaged youth, animals, and the environment. Who are you speaking to with your poetry, Gwen? Was there a certain set of readers that you were reaching with this? Really, those who enjoy spiritually uplifting poems with reference to nature and God, the writings are positive. Fantastic. When it comes to writing and publishing, Gwen, have you ever done anything like this before? No, this was my first published work. But my second book, a children's book, was just published, hmm. Sleep Little Raven, A Bedtime Story. As a singer-songwriter, I created a lullaby found on all streaming services, which pairs up with the book. Future books will mainly be children's. Now, Gwen, can you tell me about that moment whenever you got the first hard copy of The Light at the End of the COVID-19 Tunnel in? I mean, you had so much time and hard work into this. So much of you went into it. So that moment had to have been special. It was pretty special. The feelings were amazement. At the same time, disbelief. Writing and graphic images took little time. Editing and publishing took longer than expected. Holding the physical copy of my first book in my hands produced a huge sigh of relief. We have a lot of aspiring authors listening right now, Gwen, authors who want to go down that same path and go on that same journey that you did, getting that first one out there. Do you have any words of wisdom, things that you learned along the way that you could offer them? 
Yes. If you dream and feel that you'll write someday, keep positive and believe that it'll happen when the time is right. Well, writing and publishing your first book is certainly quite a task, Gwen. So what persuaded you? Was there something that sparked you to sit down and start writing this? Well, what persuaded me to actually sit down and write this book? Well, God and nature persuaded me. I never really sat down or began the book. The poems and stories just came through my heart when I took a coffee break, hiked in nature, witnessed and felt the beautiful natural world around me. From seeing snow to noticing beautiful flowers, to feeling the wind, to hearing children's laughter, and the sounds of dogs barking. Towards the end of March 2021, I decided that instead of publishing a children's book, which would require a lot of work with storyboarding and graphic images, I already had the bones for a book of poetry. This book was a sudden and spontaneous decision. Hmm. Gwen, would you say that there's a person in your life who was inspirational to you, especially when you were writing this book? No person, really. God inspired me and said, Gwen, now is the right time to publish your books. Gwen, was writer's block an issue for you? Uh, Corey, I have never experienced writer's block. Hmm. I do not actually get started with writing a story. Perhaps many writers write like that. What happens for me is divine intervention. Hmm. The inspiration and words just pour through my body and soul. It may be while I'm taking a coffee break or hiking. It may be when I see animals, butterflies, bees, and birds. My stories happen when I least expect them. I quickly grab any piece of scrap paper, napkin, and begin to write. Or I type on my iPhone in the notes area. Rarely do I have my computer nearby when the inspiration comes for a poem or a story. And I think this book is going to be a light for a lot of readers out there. It's titled, The Light at the End of the COVID-19 Tunnel, Poems to Heal the Heart and Soul. Poems inspired and written during the COVID-19 pandemic from March 20th, 2020 through May 8th, 2021. This is written by Gwendolyn S. Corbett. And it's published by Fulton Books. Of course, you can grab this one up everywhere, like at Amazon and at Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and down the street at your local bookshop. Gwen, thank you so much for joining me here tonight and telling me all about your work. It's so wonderful. I hope we can chat again sometime. Thank you for having me. I really appreciated this opportunity. It's wonderful right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. I'm joined by author Angel Sear. Angel, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Oh, Corey, thank you so much for having me today. It's my pleasure. It's great you have a new book. It just hit stores. It's titled Miracle in the Carton. Can you tell me what this is all about, Angel? Miracle in the Carton is my life story. Everything that I've been through. You know, being abandoned by my mother mm. and, you know, with my father sending me to my grandmother in the village and just living the village life with my grandmother having no means to take care of me, with us going through making farm and, you know, just living the village life and having no means of providing anything for me. And I had to go through a lot, a lot of different, different, you know, pains and difficulty. She never had the time to even send me to school. I, I didn't have the time to start school early because my grandmother couldn't afford it. You know, that's what Miracle in the Cartoon Box is about. And it's also about just giving hope to people who are going through the same thing that I've been through, you know, because it's a sad story to see a child who had to go through all these things, you know, from the village. Mm -hmm. And her mother abandoned her in a cartoon, just left the cartoon to her father, though, while he was not around. I mean, something cool happened to me. And I was able to survive all of that and have the opportunity to come in this country. So it's just about everything else that I've been through. 
Wow, Angel, what an amazing story. The village was in West Africa that you were talking about, and it's so important, I think, especially for us Americans, that we understand that these kind of things, this way of life goes on in other countries, and why it's so important that we welcome others. Yes, yes, thank you. So what gave you the inspiration to write your story, Angel? Why did you write this book for the world? My inspiration, like I said, just came from everything that I've been through and then everything that is going on around me. Now we live in a society where so much is going on. And just, you know, after everything that I've been through, I, I sat down and then I just thought about my story. I told a couple of people my story and they were like, oh, Angel, you have a very powerful story. You know, mm. what are you doing about your story? Are you trying to put it out there for people to hear your story? And, you know, I just decided, like, okay, yes, I think, you know, I would just start doing something and put my story together and just be able to share with the world for the world to hear my story. Because I feel like it's a powerful story and it will help a lot of people that are going through a lot right now. People that have been through what I've been through and people who are going through all of that. So I, I thought I should put it out there to give people hope, you know, to give them hope to tell them that anything is possible. If I can just come from where I came from, the life that I live from, a little village girl found me with a grandmother, never had food to eat, sleeping in a, a trash houses and all of that, never had the opportunity to go to school. I felt like when some people hear this story, they will be inspired, you know, they will be motivated and hopeful they can do anything to put their mind to. So that was basically my motivation. I'm so glad that you wrote your story for the rest of us, Angel. Did this take you a long time to write? Oh, yes, it did. It took me a couple of years. I started writing Miracle in the Cartoon back in 2018, and I feel a couple of times. And then I almost gave up. I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this no more. And then, I, you know, being a mother, I was like, you know what? I don't want, I don't want for my son to see me as a failure, you know? Mm. So let me just try it again. And I started trying again in 2020, and here we are today. Angel, when you look back over it all, what's the most rewarding thing for you now, knowing that you're a published author, you have your story out there for the world? I would definitely say one of the most rewarding part of it is just seeing my books on all platforms, in all stores, and being able to motivate people, to inspire people, because the book is like a hot cake. I didn't believe that it was ready, it was going to be out there at that, but you know, when I see my books online stores and in all bookstores and Barnes and Noble, you know, you know, Barnes and Noble is one of the biggest bookstores in America. And to so know that they carry my book, Amazon, eBay, everywhere. I'm like, oh, my God, is this really true? Is this really me? Is this really happening? This is truly a dream come true. America is the country that, you know, once you have the vision, anything is possible. Absolutely. I know a lot of readers are going to love this outstanding story. The title is Miracle in the Carton. It's written by Angel Sear and is published by Fulton Books. Of course, you can buy this book everywhere. Check out Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and Google Play. Like Angel said, traditional brick-and-mortar stores have it, too. Angel, thank you for joining me on the show and telling me about your life story and about this wonderful book. I hope we get to chat again sometime. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm open to that. And thank you so very much for having me. The Greatest Show on Earth. It's the new book. It's in stores right now, and it's written by Silas Weir. I'm really happy that Silas is sitting right here with me now, and we're going to chat all about it. Silas, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me here tonight. Well, thank you, Corey. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. 
Well, the pleasure's all mine. Silas, what can readers expect in The Greatest Show on Earth? A true life story of my travels from coming out as a gay individual at age 60 after 37 years of marriage and the fight that I kind of fought those 37 long years and just the background of what I went through and what others tend to go through but fail to talk about or write about. I'm hoping that it didn't take you all 37 of those years to write the book. How long did this take you to write? It took me about six months. I did it down during the COVID pandemic because uh, I had plenty of time to do it. Was this the first time you've written a book or been published? Yeah, this is my first one. I just knew I had to put a pen to paper and I knew I had to get this story out. So this is my first published novel, yes. Now, congratulations. Such a huge thing. Thank you. It takes a lot of time and a lot of work. What advice would you have to people who are aspiring authors as well? They want to get their first book out there. It's not easy for sure. It's not. But if you have a story to tell, just start writing notes down and start thinking about the travels that you've had, the troubles that you've been through, and the mountains you're about to climb. It was my best therapy. Mm. My absolute best therapy. Silas, what kinds of readers do you think would really be into this book? Was it primarily like an LGBTQ kind of thing? Yes, it was. Plus, I want to reach out to the millions of men and women that are pretty much going through the same thing that I went through. I just want to let them know that they're important and that there's a great life to live and to put your real true self out there and not hide behind the curtain. That's kind of like the cover of the book. I wanted it to be like, don't hide behind the curtain, step out on the stage and be your honest, true self. I can only imagine that moment when you got the first hard copy in of this, Silas, after all that time, and it wasn't an easy book for you to write, I could gather. So what was the moment like when you got to hold this first one in your hands? Well, I got goosebumps at first, and I was a big smile on my face, and I just couldn't believe that I actually accomplished this task. And it was something I had always dreamed about doing, but I just never really put the pen to paper. It was a very uh, satisfying experience, very rewarding. Do you think you have another book in you, Silas? Do you think you'll do it again? Well, I'm thinking about doing a prequel. I've got some uh, notes down right now, and I've been talking to a lot of my friends and family, and they feel that I've got one in me. So I kind of go along with that. So I think something is going to come out and about, but I can't put a timeline on it yet. But I look forward to getting it down there. Mm. It's hard to go at this kind of thing alone, Silas. Did you have anybody in your life who knew you were doing this and they could be there to maybe encourage you and back you up along the way? Well, my, my husband was probably one of my biggest supporters, and I had a sister-in-law and a younger brother that really kind of motivated me to really put this down to paper. And just with their support and their love and everything, I just thought, you know what, this is going to come true, so let's just get it started. And I imagine the writing process itself wasn't always easy. You know, you come up on some challenges sometimes. Maybe you get a little writer's block, or maybe you get a little stuck for ideas. Yeah. So, Silas, do you have a strategy for getting through those tough times? Yeah. The funny thing about this book is that I wrote a lot of it when I was at my job because I worked for an airline. And during the pandemic, we had so much downtime that I found myself more comfortable writing it from work. It just kept a clear mind for me to put it down. Mm -hmm. At home, I did a little bit. And on the road, I did a couple chapters along the way. But most of it I did at work. Now, Silas, he said this was a story that really just needed to get out there. Right. For you, what's the most rewarding aspect of being a published author now that you look back on it all? Well, I just feel accomplished. 
And I just feel like I put out a guideline or a story that so many can connect with that are stuck in the same situation that I was. And that was the basis of the story. I wanted to get my therapy down. I wanted others to feel okay about the way they feel and the way they, you know, how they live their lives and to let them know that there is light at the end of the tunnel, to not be afraid to be yourself and step forward. Well, this book has an important message, and I know a lot of people are going to find hope and encouragement in it. It's called The Greatest Show on Earth. It's written by Silas Weir and is published by Fulton Books. You can grab this one up everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and Google Play and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Silas, thank you again for joining me here and telling me about your work. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Well, I really appreciate it, Corey, and thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. I'm delighted right now that here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm speaking with authors Nancy and John Chase. Nancy and John, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here tonight. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. It's exciting. You have a new book. It's out in stores now. It's called Under the Potted Rose, A Journey of Discovery. Can you tell me what this is all about? Well, it's basically about an 18-year-old girl came from a rough background and she's kind of tough and doesn't know love and doesn't know the Lord. And she doesn't get to graduate high school because she skipped class. And so her principal gives her a choice either to do a 50-day assignment or to come back next semester and redo the class. And so she opts for the assignment. And then the book is all about the adventure of how she discovers love and being loving and accepting love. Hmm. What sorts of readers were you reaching out to with this book? I think anybody that's been hurt. There's so many kinds of dysfunctional families, and you can even be hurt as an adult. Anybody that's hurt and thinks they're unlovable doesn't know the Lord. So not just young people, but really anybody that needs to heal. And this was a co-authoring effort. John, can you tell me about your role in the book? At first, it was just support. She read me the first chapter. And I was going, I really love how this was going. And then she told me she had written it, and I was going, really? <laughs> and then I prayed a little, and I go, you know, I could get into this because in our lifetime, we both have seen people that have issues and how coming to the Lord has really helped both of us. And we were praying that we could reach out to others. Nancy, what was it that sparked the idea to start writing this book? Where did the idea come from? It was pretty much a download from God. He gave me the whole outline of it. And the main character in the book, Sarah, she's actually taken from, we used to live out in Colorado, and, and this young girl was our newspaper girl. She'd come by and deliver the paper and kind of hung out a lot at our house. And she had come from the background that I wrote for Sarah. And we just helped her a lot in forgiving her mother and forgiving things that she had done herself and just helped her to heal. Hmm. She ended up being the main character in the book. How long of a process was this from, Nancy, whenever you first started writing it, clear up until it got published and hit stores? Well, I kind of started when we were missionaries down in Panama, but then God decided to move us back here. So it sat on the back burner for about a year. And then I picked it up, and once I picked it up again, I think we were finished in less than six weeks. Hmm. And then had some friends review it and give us some input, and then started the publishing process. 
Do you have any advice for those listening right now who are just about to embark on that same journey themselves, go out and publish for the first time? Just do it. I was really afraid and, you know, afraid of failure. What if nobody likes it? What if I only sell three copies? But it really doesn't matter. If you're doing it, I think, with the intention of helping people, just do it. Just be brave. John, what would you say that you would offer as advice to those aspiring authors? Anything that you're going to do in life, you need to apply yourself. Don't be afraid of being made fun of because you never know what you really are going to do to impact somebody else's life. Mm. And there's nothing like seeing the product of all the hard work that you've put in. So what was it like whenever you got that first physical copy in of Under the Potted Rose? You got to hold this thing that you worked so hard on. It's just amazing. You know, you take something that's in your head and all of a sudden it's physical right there in front of you and you can share it with people. It's a whole new creation. We always do what we call the happy dance. You remember Snoopy? (laughs) (laughs) We just got to dance around celebrating. I love it. Nancy and John, who do you find inspirational in your life? Who keeps you motivated or encouraged along the way? God. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, pretty much God. We just live to please him and just listen to the Holy Spirit follow his lead. And me, John, God is my mother. She always had faith in me. I know this book is going to help and encourage a lot of people out there. And I encourage my listeners to check this out. It's titled Under the Potted Rose, A Journey of Discovery. This is written by Nancy and John Chase. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can pick this one up everywhere, of course, at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and down the street at your local bookshop. Nancy, John, thank you for joining me tonight, telling me about your work. I had a nice time talking with you. Well, thank you very much, and God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.